welcome Backgrounds Table listeners. Uh, very excited to talk this week all about intravenous iron. That's right, a whole episode on intravenous iron. I'm joined with Justin Boyle, a uh, internal medicine fellow here at the University of Toronto. Justin, what article do you have up for us first? Today, I'll be talking about ferric carboxymaltose in heart failure with iron deficiency called the HeartFID trial. It was published this past August by Mentz et al. Wicked. And what was the research question? They wanted to assess whether the incidence of death and hospitalization for heart failure would be lower and improved with respect to the six-minute walk distance um, if someone received ferric carboxymaltose therapy compared with placebo in patients that had heart failure with reduced ejection fraction and iron deficiency. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm a big fan of IV iron, especially among adults with heart failure. But why did this article catch your eye? I think this article catched my eye because in patients that have heart failure, as we know, iron deficiency is common and can be associated with worse symptoms and outcomes compared with those patients that have heart failure um, without any iron deficiency at all. And previous trials have shown uh, the benefit of IV iron with respect to quality of life and patient symptoms. Um, but there hasn't been any trial that's really looked at um, released for like more firm clinical outcomes with respect to things like um, death. And so I think that's why this trial was very interesting to me. Yeah, it makes sense to me. So what was the study design? So essentially, this was a double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled trial, and patients who met the eligibility criteria were randomly assigned in a one-to-one ratio to either receive IV iron or placebo, in addition to usual therapy for heart failure. And they were stratified according to region of their enrollment. And so essentially, the dosing of the IV iron was weight-based, with two doses separated by seven days. And essentially, follow-up occurred every three months with ferric carboxymaltose or placebo administered every six months on the basis of their hemoglobin and whether or not they were iron deficient. And patients were followed for the duration of the trial, regardless of adherence. Um, So the specific inclusion criteria were anyone who is an adult with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction with an EF of less than 40% and a hemoglobin level um, that um, was greater than 9.0 grams per deciliter um, in American units. Um, And essentially, they met the criteria for iron deficiency as defined by a ferritin of less than 100 or a level of 100 to 300 with a transfer saturation of less than 20%. And these patients had to have um, a heart failure hospitalization within the previous 12 months, sorry, or an elevated BMP. Um, and with respect to their outcomes, their main primary outcome was a hierarchical composite of death within 12 months after randomization, hospitalizations for heart failure within 12 months after randomization, or a change in their six-minute walk distance from baseline to six months. And their main secondary outcome was a composite of cardiovascular death or hospitalization for heart failure over the duration of the follow-up period. And essentially, the study was conducted, as I mentioned, in an intention-to-treat manner. Yeah, sounds great. So if I have this right, what we're dealing with here is a double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled trial of adults with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction and signs of iron deficiency. And the primary outcome, a little bit complex, but a composite of death within 12 months, hospitalization for heart failure, or change in the six-minute walk distance. Is that right? That is correct. Cool. And what did the patients look like? So overall, the demographic and baseline clinical characteristics were quite balanced between the IV iron group and the placebo group. Uh, Most of the participants were men, so only 33 to 34% were women, and the majority were white at 86%. Uh, The median age was 68 years, and they had a balanced proportion of um, people with respect to their ejection fraction and their symptom burden from heart failure and their other comorbidities, such as diabetes. 
And for the primary outcome, how did it look? So at 12 months, death had occurred in 131 patients, or 8.6% in the IV iron group, and in 158, or 10.3% in the placebo group. Um, there were, uh, with respect to hospitalizations, there were 297 versus 332 on comparison IV iron to placebo. And there was a change in their six minute walk distance from baseline to six months um, of eight plus six zero centimeters, sorry, meters um, in the IV iron group and four plus five nine meters in the placebo group. Um, and, but however, when they did a win ratio for their composite outcome, um, essentially there was um, no difference between if you received IV iron or placebo. Yeah, and this sort of like um, hierarchical testing using a win ratio is something that's relatively new, uh, something we're newly seeing. So a little bit challenging to sort of get your head around. Um, and I think I struggle a little bit because if anything, there's a suggestion of benefit but of course, a confidence interval that just barely crosses one, um, which is why it was sort of tossed in the bucket of, oh, maybe this doesn't make a difference after all. But anyway, what were the limitations from your standpoint here? Uh, so I think the main limitations, um, I mean, uh, SGLT2 inhibitors um, are only used by 8% of patients. Um, and uh, this is something that is now part of guideline-directed therapy for people that have heart failure with reduced injection fraction. Um, and so it's really interesting to see if a large proportion of people were on gold-directed medical therapy, if that could change anything, um, or if there's any benefit with respect to people that have iron deficiency and the use of IV iron in that group of people. Um, beyond that, um, there was some data missing with respect to the six-minute walk distance at follow-up. Um, and also this paper or this trial was conducted during the pandemic. And so um, it's hard to know if that influenced the results in any way. And then finally, um, uh, with, respect to with respect to demographics, the majority of the participants were white. Yeah, for sure. So I guess the, the SGLT2 inhibitor piece is certainly an interesting one. I don't know if you've seen the studies recently, but the added benefit of SGLT2s, not only do they reduce your risk of heart failure, but they also improve your hemoglobin. Now they do that by mobilizing iron and increasing EPO. So you're right. I think that will be an interesting future study when everyone's on goal-directed therapy um, and point well taken with regards to generalizability. Anyway, what's the take-home point for you? Uh, so the take-home point is that uh, when sort of looking at that confidence interval, they found that among ambulatory patients who had HEFREF and iron deficiency, there was no apparent difference between IV iron and placebo with respect to their composite outcome of death, hospitalization for heart failure, and their six-minute walk distance. And is this practice changing for you? I don't necessarily think that this is practice changing. I, I mean, I think that based on the previous trials that showed that there was a very significant improvement in quality of life for patients that have iron deficiency and heart failure, I think that I'll still continue to prescribe IV iron for these individuals. Um, and I think that um, given how there may be a signal here that it could improve um, outcomes with respect to their uh, composite, um, I think that I'll still continue to prescribe IV iron in patients that are iron deficiency. Yeah, I completely agree. Sadly, there are very few things we do in medicine that improve somebody's quality of life. So whenever I have a treatment that improves their quality of life, that's reason enough for me to prescribe it. So I, I completely agree. And I also think this is a nice opportunity for a meta-analysis of this trial and the other trials to see that if you sort of increase your statistical power by pooling results across multiple studies, then maybe there is a small benefit from some of the more harder endpoints. But uh, cool. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm on board with you, you know, improves quality of life. Let's keep giving it. 
So um, on my end, uh, I have a study that, as alluded to, is related to IV iron. Before I do, you know, we're still, or I'm still promoting the Sioux, of course, like uh, I don't have much else to do with my time these days. So, you know, for trainees who are listening uh, to this podcast today, there are multiple electives for trainees to come to the Sioux, including R4s, Justin, uh, you can come if you'd like. Um, but there's also so many um, jobs available for staff physicians, family docs, GIM docs, specialists, subspecialists. Anyway, if that's of interest to you, uh, reach out to me on Twitter, email, knock on my door, whatever you want to do. Always happy to talk about the Sioux. All right, Justin, ends of, end of sales pitch. Okay. Oh, yeah. And they sponsored this episode. So thank you, Sioux St. Marie. <laughs> All right. Okay. Now back to the medicine. So um, this study was looking at IV iron and tranexamic acid combined or alone for reducing blood transfusion in patients with a hip fracture called the HIFIT trial, multicenter two by two factorial randomized double-blind controlled trial published in July 2023 in Lancet Hematology. Sounds intense. What was the research question? Yeah, so this was looking at whether or not IV iron and TXA are effective at reducing the need for blood transfusion after hip fracture surgery. Cool question. Why was this important? We know that hip fracture, that's common among the individuals that we care for on the general internal medicine ward. And we know that hip fractures have really bad outcomes. Something that I learned after reading this paper is that maybe 25% to 30% of adults with a hip fracture uh, require a blood transfusion. That's unsurprising, despite the orthopods saying minimal blood loss. There's always more than minimal blood loss, but also these patients are at high risk of anemia and many have iron deficiency. So this is why it struck my eye. And also because we know that IV iron is safe and effective and kind of widely available. Um, ditto for TXA. I'm currently on the medicine team at Sinai where we care for the uh, ortho patients who've had a hip fracture. So it was just so timely for this article to sort of come across my Twitter feed. For sure. And what was their study design? So double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled, two-by-two factorial design of adults with hip fracture at one of 12 hospitals in France. It was sponsored by the French government, and the trial ran from 2017 to 2021. Factorial designs are very confusing to understand. I totally get that. So I'll try to really dumb it down in a couple of minutes here. Um, but the population they included, so adults with an osteoporotic hip fracture with a pre-op hemoglobin that was above 95 in Canadian units um, and no higher than 130, so 95 to 130 range. They excluded individuals with bone marrow disease. I don't know what the, that means, but bone marrow disease um, or receiving treatment that could interfere with bone marrow um, erythropoiesis if they had uncontrolled hypertension, if they were uh, bedridden, or if they had already gotten a unit of blood. And the intervention here, so again, it's two by two factorial design. So there's multiple randomizations that could occur. So here are the four different groups that could uh, be included in this study. You could get randomized to TXA and IV iron. You could get randomized to TXA and placebo. Or you get randomized to IV iron and placebo. Or you get randomized to two placebos. So that's what we mean by a two by two factorial design, right? It's sort of um, two different interventions with two placebos. Two times two is four. That's why there's four different treatment groups in these factorial trials. Um, the primary outcome was pretty clean 
percentage of patients transfused during hospitalization or by day 30. It was intentioned to treat very complex statistical analysis in regards to interaction testing. Who cares? I won't go into it. And they planned to have a sample size of 780 individuals. Thank you for explaining that design. Uh, what did their patients look like? They screened 3,000 and they were left with uh, 400. Okay. So they did not reach their target sample size. They had to stop early, but they stopped early due to interim analysis suggesting benefit. So 400 some odd individuals in total. The median age was 86. 76% were women, in contrast to the study you were talking about, um, didn't have breakdown on uh, ethnicity information. The time from admission to surgery was 48 hours, which I think is on par with what I see at Sinai. Uh, one in five were on an anticoagulant. The average ferritin at admission was 82, uh, baseline hemoglobin of 110. And again, this funny two by two factorial design. What this means is that there was 100 patients who got IV iron plus TXA. There were 100 patients who got TXA plus placebo. There was 100 that got double placebo and 100 that got TX, uh, IV iron and placebo. Even as I read it out, it's hard to understand. Gosh, it's embarrassing. But as mentioned, stopped early due to uh, benefit. Alrighty. And what were their main results? Yeah. So um, again, four different groups. I'll try to simplify this. In the individuals that got the double placebo, a placebo version of TXA and a placebo version of IV iron, the rate of blood transfusion was 30%, one in three patients. Contrast that to the individuals who got both TXA and IV iron, the rate of blood transfusion was 15%, 1,5%. So that's a 50% relative risk reduction and a 1,5, 15% absolute risk reduction. So pretty darn impressive if you got both. How about if you just got IV iron, your rate of blood transfusion was like 25%. How about if you just got TXA, uh, your rate of blood transfusion, again, was approximately 25%. Um, they did have some secondary outcomes. And I think maybe the most striking one was, you know, what did grandma's hemoglobin look like um, three days after the surgery if grandma got TXA as well as IV iron? It was like eight points higher, which I think is kind of clinically meaningful, especially if it was like the difference of 68 versus 76, um, and, then, and then six points higher by day 30. So even 30 days out, they're seeing an improvement in their hemoglobin. What I also thought was really interesting, two interesting niche points. So this is a line from the results, okay? Study drug infusion was stopped only once because of severe hypotension with severe anaphylaxis. So Justin, when you hear that, what are you thinking? I'm thinking stop the infusion. <laughs> yeah, stop the infusion for sure. And like, which of those two drugs do you think is causing the anaphylaxis? If you, if you had to guess, IV oh, iron or the TXA? IV for sure. That's what I would think too. And that's why we have to do placebo-controlled trials. So they stopped the drugs and it turns out the person was getting placebo of iron and placebo of TXA. So this is why it's so important to blind trials, right? Because um, uh, anaphylaxis can also just happen. And then overall, we obviously worry about the potential for a risk of PE if you get TXA. I mean, I don't really worry about it in all honesty, because that's what Michelle Schulzberg told me, and you can't find anyone smarter than her. Um, so the risk of PE was 2% in all of the groups, uh, still underpowered. But I, I found this weird too. So Justin, in their um, adverse event table, they showed that every single group 
25% of them had, quote unquote, a UTI. What do you make of that? I mean, I would be surprised if it was associated with any of their interventions, but also is it asymptomatic like bacteria? That's what I think. I bet you a million bucks, 25% of people had an abnormal urine culture because for sure, um, that's what happens if you test grandma's urine. Uh, anyway, those were the findings. Uh, I'll stop there. Alrighty. And what were their limitations? It's a small study. So remember, 400 patients and the goal was to recruit twice as much. As you and I have talked before, whenever a study gets ended early, either because of good or because of harm, there's always the risk of a spurious result. However, this is why we have stopping rules. Um, There's an entire branch of epidemiology and statistics related to this. But still, it's a small study. And I think it also doesn't apply to the adults who are coming in with a hemoglobin less than 90, right? They excluded those individuals because they probably felt, well, maybe they'll get a transfusion or maybe they'll get something else. Um, And then, you know, we don't have a good sense of what is the actual breakdown from an ethnicity standpoint. I have no reason to suspect one specific ethnicity would benefit more or less from the treatments. So those are the those are a few limitations that came to mind. Very fair. And what's your take on point? TXA and IV iron sandwich, right? Like just go for it. And it's so interesting. I'm already seeing this practice changing in part uh, from the orthopods at Sinai. So they're now giving TXA for these hip um, surgeries. So they give like the study gave like a gram up front and then like one gram over eight hours. And then they also use um, three grams topical and like just push it in the joint space or whatever to, to stop any bleeding. So that's been super cool. Um, I haven't seen them ordering the IV iron, but I think orthopods probably care more about the bone and the blood around the bone than the iron. Probably very true. Uh, and is this practice changing for you? It really is. I see no reason why we shouldn't be giving IV iron to probably every hip fracture patient that met criteria for the study, right? So um, the next hip fracture patients that I'll see when I'm back on service in a few days, yep, here you go, IV iron, enjoy. Um, They used monopheric and the dose was 1,000 milligrams. Monopheric is quite nice because it's single dose, boom, you're done, as opposed to uh, venifer. And then the TXA piece, the orthopods have beat me to the punch. So good for them. Fantastic. All right, Justin, that brings us to the end of the articles, the end of Sault Ste. Marie promotion. So what good stuff caught your eye? Um, the good stuff for this week is uh, very pop culture oriented, but many artists from my high school years have been releasing music such as Timbaland and Nelly Furtado and Selena Gomez. And so, you know, it's just very nostalgic right now. Cool. I'll, I will definitely check. I will check that link or something for sure. You and I were in a different generation in terms of high school, but I know who almost all of them are. So <laughs> I, I think I'll enjoy, I'll enjoy the tracks. Uh, on my end, um, sorry for listeners who listen really closely, same good stuff as last time. Uh, so it's all about the thrombo trial files because we're talking about heme stuff. Um, so created by uh, my lab, Bryant Lim, who's a med student at U of T, absolute programming wizard, has created this really cool code called paper scrape. Um, paper scrape 
rate monitors um, for any randomized trials published in the past 30 days. And now we're searching across heme journals. So thrombo trial files uh, twice a month newsletter, and we give sort of three sentence uh, summaries to articles related to thrombosis. And then we do a throwback edition, which I think is helpful for learners um, to realize, hey, like, why do we give a Pixaban for cancer VTE? And uh, I'm super duper biased. But even for me, like as a staff physician, I don't always remember. I don't always remember what I had for breakfast. So I definitely don't always remember, oh, what trial was this based on? So anyway, I'm proud of the lab and what they've done with this. That's amazing. I mean, I got my trial files email today, so I'm a fan. Nice. Good. Wicked. Thanks, Justin. Okay. Always great to chat. Good luck uh, at Michael Guerin, and we'll chat again soon. The Rounds Table is hosted online at healthydebate.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Rounds Table. Thanks to our audio editors, Emilio Garcia Flores and Arjun Sharma. Also, thanks to Amol Verma, founder of The Rounds Table, and Kieran Quinn, the previous director. We'd also like to give a big thanks to Seema Marwaha, editor-in-chief at Healthy Debate, for all the support.